This is the Neurosurgery Podcast. Welcome back to our podcast. Today we are joined by Stacy Quintero Wolf. Stacy is an old friend of mine. She was a resident when I was in Fellow in Miami. She has been on this podcast before and she's the program director at Wake Forest, where Charlie Branch is the chair. And Charlie was recently on our podcast as well with his family. Stacy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. It's really exciting to be here and we really appreciate all you've done with these podcasts. Yeah, it's fantastic to, to have a chance to connect with folks like you, even during the pandemic. And, you know, we have always had a, a strong tie together, you and me. So I know all about the great things going on at Wake Forest. I've known Charlie Branch for three decades now, and I know what a fantastic program it is. But we want to spend the next 10 minutes or so talking about how you see the program and how applicants can see what is special about being in your uh, your training facility. So uh, maybe you can start off by telling us how you ended up there, because you were a Miami uh, trainee, right? You you loved it here. You were loved by everybody here, Jacques Morcos, Roberto Harris, and you went to Wake Forest. Tell us why you went there. Well, absolutely. Um, you know, I've had just such a, a blessed career, without a doubt, learned from great mentors, you included, of course. Um, but then I joined the military. And so I went out uh, with the Navy. I was stationed in Hawaii at Triple Army Medical Center, um, learned a ton uh, about neurosurgery, about taking care of people, about administrating, uh, and about being an innovator. Um, and so, you know, at that point, I was loving the military. It was a hard decision to get out of the military, but I missed teaching. I missed it a lot. Uh, and so, you know, at that time, I was looking around and, um, you know, for, for, places where I could still be a general neurosurgeon, but I could really work towards my specialty and I could work on it kind of from the three different aspects that I hold dearly in my philosophy to training. And that's basically being a great surgeon, being a great physician and being a great innovator. Um, And I think that those three things are really critical uh, to putting out our, our neurosurgical workforce and to developing the excellence that our patients deserve in neurosurgery. Um, and so to expound on that a little bit, you know, and I tell, I tell applicants this when they're looking at, at different programs, you know, they ask, what are you looking for? I want somebody who wants to be excellent, who wants to demand that excellence. Uh, and so, you know, I want somebody who can, we can train up to be a great surgeon. You're going to see all of the different things that you could possibly imagine, all of the subspecialties many different, you know, complications, presentations, so that when you get out of here, you're going to be able to operate on essentially anything. And you're going to have mentors behind you that you can always call and say, oh, what do I do with this one? Uh, You know, our folks come out with 2000 cases, you know, by their by their chief year. So you get that. But that's not enough to be a great neurosurgeon, right? Uh, We want somebody who also is a wonderful person, a a great physician who can empathize with their patients, who can listen to their patients, someone who knows how to take care of their family and to create that wonderful collegial environment and team aspect uh, to neurosurgery. I tell everyone, neurosurgery is a team sport, without a doubt. Um, You know, and then the third thing is innovation. We don't want to keep doing neurosurgery the same way that we were taught. Certainly, Mike, you know this very, very well, just like I do. We don't practice the same way as when we were residents. We want to figure out how do you take care of this patient even better than we did two years ago? Uh, How do we ask these important clinical questions that we don't have answers to yet? How do we bring that back to the bench 
figure out the answer and then have that answer touch a patient within two, three, five years. I don't want to invent something that's going to take 15 years for a patient to see. We want that to be true translational medicine. So that's kind of my philosophy of, of training at Wake Forest and what we kind of center all of our, our programs and, and training around. Well, Dr. Wolf, it's phenomenal to hear someone with such a clear vision and a clear enumerated set of goals to execute every day when on the job. I wonder if then in that light, you could talk a bit about what the program structure is like, what uh, elective time is available for the residents to pursue those interests and in innovation. Um, what, what overall do the rotations look like? How, how does the residency function from day to day? Sure, absolutely. So we basically have a apprenticeship type model, if you will. We've, we're broken down into three teams. And like I mentioned, I was looking for a place where I could still do general neurosurgery, all the things that I learned and had to do while I was in the military. And that's absolutely our philosophy here. All of us do all of neurosurgery, but then we each have our specific specialty that we're really interested in, uh, where if you look at the milestones, we're a five on the milestones, right? We're contributing to the literature in this area. We're doing our research in this area, and we really help this subset of patients. And so we're broken down into three teams. Uh, team A is kind of our craniovascular team. Team B is our um, functional and tumor team. And then we have the spine team. Um, and so, you know, we take care of trauma, obviously, within each, each of those aspects. Um, and so what we want to do is make sure that the residents are learning uh, in a focused fashion from a subset of people, rather than having to figure out how to do all of the cases uh, at the same time. You know, we want them to really focus on, all right, how do I do these cases? And what are the differences between the different attendings? And I really encourage them ask the why, right? Why do you do it this way? And Dr. Wilson or Dr. Fargin does it that way. Um, not just learning and memorizing the steps, because if you don't know the why behind something, you certainly can't mix and match those steps. Uh, and, and you really, you're missing out on so much. Um, and so we, we really focus on things in that apprenticeship manner. Um, and then we also have the graded autonomy that we fit into that. And so, you know, in most programs, is your PGY-1, PGY-2, you're responsible for a lot of stuff going on on the floor in the ICU, but it's critically important that everybody still goes down to the operating room because you signed up to be a neurosurgeon. You actually want to operate. Otherwise, you would be an internal medicine doctor or something else, which is perfectly fine, but it's not neurosurgery. And so, you know, I ask all of my, my residents as a PGY1, you have to do 100 cases. Uh, as a PGY2, you have to do 150 cases. That continues to go up, uh, you know, as, as the time goes by but we do it in a graded fashion, right? So it's not that I'm asking you to come down and do an ACDF stem to stern by yourself. That's not gonna work really well if you're a PGY1, but I want you to know how to position that patient. I want you to know the anatomy of how you do the approach. Uh, you know, as you go into your PGY2 year, now you're learning how to actually get into the disc space. You know, you're learning how to drill. Uh, and so, you know, we go through this and we actually have written out so that it takes a lot of the guesswork away. We've worked on this over the years so that, you know, as a PGY2, three, four, five, what are the parts of the case that you should have perfected, that you should have excellence in? Um, and it's not gonna be, I know how to do an ACDF because I'm a PGY2 or a PGY3. It's going to be by the time you're a PGY5, you have mastered all of the different aspects of this case, uh, which include complications or complex anatomy, et cetera. Uh, so we have those kinds of things broken down. 
And I think that that's something that's really helpful. And so doing that with the, with the apprenticeship model of being able to focus on certain disease states on three-month blocks has been really, really helpful. Uh, and then, of course, you know, year four, again, I said innovation is important, and, and I really mean that. And so, you know, year four is your research year. We start planning for that up front. You know, we're planning for your research year. Even in your PGY2, what, what are you interested in? Here are some different labs that we have. We're going to get you a research mentor as well as your, um, your neurosurgery mentor. Um, and because you need those two different aspects in research. Uh, in your PGY3 year, you're going to go to the run course. You're going to start, you know, again, kind of broadening your horizons, maybe getting some pilot data. Um, and then when you hit your PGY4 year, you've already got your question. You've got kind of the outline of what you want your research project to look like. Uh, you're going to write a grant. Uh, we're going to help you with that. Uh, I'll take you through all the mistakes that I've made throughout my career uh, learning how to do this. But um, we work on those things together. And then we actually have you uh, apply that grant to our faculty uh, for pilot funds. You know, we do kind of between seven and $10,000 pilot funds so that you can go ahead and really work on your project and have something of substance by the time that you get out. And you may say, you know what? I don't love research. This is, uh, Mike, you will appreciate this. When I was a resident, Dr. Hiros was my program director and he said, you know, you need to do some research. And I said, oh, thank you, sir. I really enjoy clinical much more. And he got very big and he said, you're going to do research. And I said, yes, sir. Uh, and then I looked around and I said, okay, what's the fastest thing that I can do? Cause I really don't wanna do research. And of course, I ended up falling in love with research and just the idea of asking that question and taking a patient problem back to the bed, you're back to the bench to figure out how can we do this better. Um, and so I want every resident to have that experience. They may only want to do three months of it and then morph into translational or clinical stuff. We have those opportunities. But everybody needs to know what research entails, what you do with it. And so some people are going to want to carry that forth, and we were able to do that. You know, I had one of my residents get $100,000 worth in grants when she was a PGY4. And so for her PGY5 year, her senior year, you know, we actually, the beginning of it, she only spent two days in the operating room and three days in the in the lab. And then we started morphing that. So by the end, she was much more in the, in the OR. Uh, and because we have such a pretty high volume of cases, you know, she was absolutely fine to do her, her sixth year, seventh year without a problem. Um, but other people, like I said, they're going to want to do more of a clinical experience. And for those folks, they may do their chief year and their sixth year and then do an enfolded fellowship in their seventh year. So it can look like a lot of different things. Um, you know, and I, I just really have to thank Dr. Branch and Dr. John Wilson and, you know, for the, the mentorship and the leadership that they've always had at Wake Forest where it's really a yes culture. You know, if you ask a question, the answer is going to be yes, let's figure out how to do it. Uh, you know, you oh, you want to do an advanced degree? Okay, great. Let's figure out how to do this so that it works well for you and it works well for the rest of the team um, and that we can really focus everything on the individual. Uh, I don't want to create a whole bunch of people that all do the same thing. That's not helpful for our patients, right? We want to be able to create people that go into academics, that go into privademics, that go into private practice, and that take care of the patients that need it. Yeah. So Stacy, as we kind of wrap it up a little bit, tell us a little about what it's like to live in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and what life in the residency is like. So a little bit different than Miami, let's be honest. Um, but it really is a great place to be. And I can honestly say that, look, I'm somebody who I trained in San Diego, Miami, and then was faculty in Hawaii. 
three places which are pretty spectacular, right? Uh, and I love Winston-Salem. We have our waterfalls. They are smaller than the ones in Hawaii, but we have them. We've got the mountains. We've got the ocean not terribly far from us, plenty of lakes and rivers, lots of outdoor stuff to do. It's amazing because there is no traffic. You can be very, very jealous of us. Uh, you know, it takes 10 minutes to get anywhere uh, and not more than that. Uh, also very fun because you can come and you can purchase your home and purchase land uh, because the cost of living is really low here. But at the same time, we're a nice overgrown town, if you will. And so we actually have the arts, you know, we have symphony, we have uh, the ballet, we have these kinds of things and we're a college town. So we have sports and, and uh, you know, Wake Forest is actually doing pretty good. They were doing really well until uh, this past week uh, when we just lost to Clemson, which is absolutely devastating. But we have a lot of fun, you know, with, with basketball, with football and lots of other sports. Of course, we play uh, softball. That's clearly a prerequisite. Uh, and so you can be terrible at softball like I am uh, and still be part of our team uh, or you can be really great. Uh, and so that's that's a lot of fun as well. Um, but we really, it's a family, you know, and so you come here and whether you want it or not, you're going to get a big extended family. Um, we really have a good time together. My greatest joy is when, you know, we're talking in M&M and I just can't figure out who actually made the mistake because the junior resident is covering for their intern and then the senior resident's covering for the junior resident. And, you know, we, we all try to make everybody's life a little bit better and a little bit easier. And when everybody's doing that, it's a really, really tremendous place to work and live. Well, Dr. Wolf, that sounds delightful. I, I am on record on air and off as a lover of North Carolina. It's one of my favorite states in the union and one of the most beautiful. So I love hearing someone talk with that much enthusiasm about living there. Um, but of course, more importantly for the listeners, we really appreciate you coming on and talking about the program at Wake Forest. Uh, sharing your time and your insights for the applicants this year. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Welcome back to the Neurosurgery Podcast. We're here with another installment in our residency spotlights this year, and we are delighted to have today another Canadian program. Uh, we're joined today by Dr. Blake Yeriscavich, the program director at McMaster University in Hamilton, Ontario. Dr. Yeriscavich, welcome to the show. Thank you, JP, for having me. It's a, a pleasure to be on here today, and uh, I'm looking forward to telling you a little bit about our program here at McMaster. Well, we're looking forward to hearing about it. Uh, why don't we get right into it? Maybe if you could, for our listeners, tell us a bit about yourself, how you came to work at, Mc, at McMaster and uh, in the position of program director, and then talk to us a bit about the university and the, the culture, the personality of the program there. Absolutely. Uh, so I am a pediatric neurosurgeon here at McMaster at the Children's Hospital. Uh, I have been a, uh, a longtime resident, I suppose, of, uh, of Hamilton and McMaster. Um, I'm actually from southern Ontario here where we are located. And I came here for my medical, my medical school and uh, didn't really leave after that. So I did my medical school here, followed by my residency. Uh, and I went away uh, to do my fellowship in pediatric neurosurgery down at UT Southwestern in Dallas, and then came back here as staff afterwards. Um, so I've been here for a little while, but quite familiar with the program uh, with a, I guess, unique perspective in that I had 
come through here as a resident and then uh, transitioned back to staff and uh, now as program director. Um, it's always fun coming back, I think, to a, a program which you've been through because I, I think you bring unique insights into how some of the stuff works from, from uh, a different perspective. Um, the, our program here is a, as a, a relatively small program. Uh, so in terms of resident numbers, we have about two per year. Uh, so right now we have around uh, 14 residents. Uh, some of them are off doing um, non-clinical duties and, and research. Um, but uh, as I said, we kind of average two per year over a six-year residency program. Uh, we have uh, 11 uh, neuro adult neurosurgery staff and three pediatric neurosurgeons uh, spread out across our um, hospital system here, which primarily consists of a adult hospital that's uh, affiliated with McMaster, sorry, affiliate, affiliated with McMaster University and uh, a, um, uh, the Children's Hospital, which is actually located on the uh, university campus. Um, Given that we are a, a relatively small group of uh, individuals, it's a very collegial and uh, very friendly type of atmosphere where uh, we, we tend to try and, and do events together and um, stick together as a, a real team and a real family around here is the way I describe our, uh, overall, um, uh, our, our overall atmosphere. You know, we, we've had, as, as we were talking before we started recording here, you're the third Canadian program we've been lucky enough to get on the show. And we were talking a bit about some of the differences between not just the healthcare systems between America and Canada, which we all talk about, but the training differences. And as you just mentioned, uh, you have a six-year program, whereas now across the United States, all programs are seven years. So I wonder if you could, for our American listeners, talk a bit more about, to your knowledge, you know, having trained down in Texas, what are the differences like in training between the states and Canada? And if you could make a case for maybe any interested students in the United States or even people finishing residency who might want to come to Canada for a fellowship, what, what do you think are some selling points about the Canadian model? Well, I think that there, there are certain advantages to being in a public system. Uh, and, and, and those really come around to the freedom of being able to always do what, you know, in my mind is right for the patient. Um, I don't want to criticize anywhere else there, but we don't have the same uh, type of RFU type of, um, I think that's the correct term, right? RVU. RVU. There we go. It's close enough. The R RVUs. Um, we don't have, um, the same type of pressures uh, necessarily from a um, system perspective to be able to perform. And that allows us to spend a good amount of our time being focused on academia and focused on education. Uh, so I think that part of what makes it a little bit, a little bit different in Canada is that we have a very um, large focus on the educational component and the learning objectives uh, as much as possible for our residents as they, as they go through the program. And we do our best to tailor the program to their own interests and experiences and desires. Um, the six years, and, and uh, what's different now actually than even a few years ago within that six years is we have transitioned from what we call the traditional type of, of model where you do your, um, you, you do your rotations and you have your rotation evaluations and you have to pass so many rotations in order to be able to graduate. Um, we've now moved uh, across all of Canada to something called a competency by design model or, or CBD model, uh, where we instead have essentially small 
uh, multiple low stakes encounters with multiple evaluations throughout your program uh, to um, demonstrate competency in a number of different um, what we call EPAs or entrustable professional activities. Uh, so you have essentially a scorecard for almost everything that you would do uh, to become a capable neurosurgeon. And you get those evaluated by multiple people throughout your uh, residency. And um, uh, at that point, you have to essentially demonstrate independence with all of these things, all of these entrustable uh, activities uh, in order to, to graduate now. So there's been a major kind of paradigm shift uh, in how our residency programs are evaluated or how our residents are evaluated uh, during their time here. And um, what I have found, and I think partly what's different from the American model is that this constant feedback cycle uh, through this competency by design model is very good for helping identify weaknesses, um, both personally for your own reflection, but also from a program level uh, to make sure that we are, are building up our residents in all the areas that, uh, that they need as they go through the program. Well, that's very fascinating. And, and, you know, thinking about the residents going through the program, maybe you could talk a bit about the residents themselves. You mentioned that the culture there is very collegial. Um, but among the the residents themselves, what are the personalities like, and what what are, what's the personality of the group like? And you know, with that in mind, what kind of people do you look for to best complement that group? Yeah, I think that's exactly uh, that's an excellent question because when I have uh, medical students coming through who are interested, or even when I'm I'm talking to uh, medical students across the country, uh, I tend to tend to let them know that I focus on and we focus on a program a lot about compatibility um, with the current uh, with the current residents. Um, so, you know, we know that everyone who is trained through medical school and, and desiring, uh, you know, to pursue a career in neurosurgery have studied hard and and worked um, um, uh, worked just to, to get an interview. Uh, and so once we've put a lot of people through the strainer to get the best of the best, we then come down to compatibility with our own program, knowing that um, you know they fit in well with the group, uh, that they're they're going to be um, collegial in their attitudes and uh, work towards a common goal. Um, you know, I put it as uh, family. Uh, you know, you can, in most cases, you don't get to choose your family. Um, uh, you choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. In this situation, and and as a uh, residency program and as residents who interview other potential residents, um, I, I describe it as choosing your family uh, because of the amount of time that we spend together and how uh, intricately we are involved with each other for uh, for six years at a time. Uh, compatibility is what I really underscore with that. So, you know, we look for people who are well-rounded, uh, who don't have just a uh, just an academic profile and, and have, um, you know, uh, some interesting skills and interesting um, uh, abilities that are, are make them well-rounded. And through that, I think we bring diversity to our program. Uh, about half of our residents uh, right now are uh, Canadian and the other half are um, uh, foreign funded from, the, um, uh, from Gulf state countries. Uh, and, and that's how our, our program is kind of divided up uh, in, um, in, in two major intake streams. Uh, the, you know, we have people from all across Canada, um, right now, uh, who have 
who have come from the, the various universities. We have a number of, uh, a couple of residents from um, Newfoundland, uh, some from out west, um, and uh, it really adds to, to, as I said, some of that uh, diversity that we seek within our own group. Wonderful. Well, you know, as this conversation comes to an end, maybe we could take a moment to talk not just about the people there, but the place itself. As you said, you've lived in Hamilton for quite some time. Clearly, there's something in the air that speaks to you. Maybe you could share with our listeners what uh, life is like there, what, what the town's like, what kind of things the residents do when they're not on duty in the hospital. Absolutely. Uh, so um, we, in Hamilton, we are just at the uh, the far um, west end of Lake Ontario. Uh, so we sit in the Golden Horseshoe, which is essentially halfway between Niagara Falls, Canada, and halfway between Toronto. Uh, and um, so we're kind of we're, we're kind of sit, sit um, crux right amongst uh, you know city life and uh, and country life. And it's um, it, it's remarkable because you have access to a lot of the of the uh, the different things. Our actual city is uh, uh, is is about six hundred thousand people or so. So it's not uh, small, um, but we are, as I said, just kind of outside of uh, Toronto. So we have uh, access and and close ready availability to to uh, participate in some of the things that um, uh, Toronto has to offer. Um, but at the same time, we have quick access to. Uh, uh, the wineries and other areas of Niagara on the lake, um, which are usually large tourist attractions. Um, within Hamilton, it's a, a beautiful place because it's uh, uh, nestled kind of right at the edge of the lake. So we have a beautiful area of uh, Lake Ontario that's part of it. And then we have different elevations as um, the Niagara Escarpment comes through, the, through uh, Hamilton. And it's great because we are one of the uh, one of the places in Canada that has the most number of waterfalls because we have this different elevation, a huge amount of conservation land and, uh, and nature and hiking trails. Um, so there's a lot to do uh, around the area, especially if you're interested in uh, exploring and uh, exploring and being part of nature. Um, at the same time, even downtown Hamilton has a lot of uh, excellent dining and um, uh, arts activities, which have really actually blossomed in the time that I've been here over the last couple decades. Well, that sounds lovely. You know, we, we want to uh, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show and, and share with us what neurosurgery is like at McMaster and, and what life is like in Hamilton, Ontario. Um, I, I hope that this reaches all of the applicants across Canada this year and maybe those in North America who are or in, in America, I should say, who are looking to go north for their training. Um, but again, we're just so grateful for your time coming on the show today to talk about neurosurgery at McMaster. Thank you, sir. JP, really appreciate it. Welcome to another episode of the Neurosurgery Podcast. Today we're delighted to have Dr. Jensen, who's Program Director at the University of Utah here on the podcast. Dr. Jensen, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you, and thanks for having me. So as we were talking about before we started, uh, you know, you've been at Utah for over 20 years now, and Dr. Caldwell, whose chair has been there for 20 years now as well. Uh, and in the last 20 years, there's been a lot of changes to the program specifically how many new faculty have come on and how deep the surgical subspecialties have gotten and how many experts you have in the field. Can you talk about what that means for the residents who are training and all of the stuff they get to see and experience uh, during their seven years there at Utah? Well, it makes it really easy for people to find mentors uh, because there's, there's enough faculty now that uh, if somebody has a, a specific niche that they want to uh, pursue, if they have some research interests, 
Uh, matter of fact, in, in our residency, every resident has a research mentor and, and a career slash clinical mentor that uh, at first I assigned to them, but then over the course of their residency, that sort of evolves and they you know, move to people who are maybe a little bit more aligned with their goals. Uh, we've, uh, we've been very lucky in that, you know, people are really subspecialized uh, and, and there's really a depth of both uh, the clinical uh, practice as well as the research practice, uh, clinical research and basic science that goes along with each uh, subspecialty of neurosurgery. That's great. And going through the Utah website, the neurosurgery residency website, I, you know, I came across the alumni page and I was stunned to notice how many of your alumni have gone on to become chairs at other institutions, you know, whether it's Ohio State or New Mexico, just to name a few. Is there something about the residency program that really fosters, you know, this making of chairman? And, you know, what is it about that brings out this leadership quality in all your residents? Well, you know, I, I might brag a little bit about our senior faculty, especially Dr. Caldwell. Um, you know, many of them are, are, are leaders, um, uh, both in organized neurosurgery and in the hospital and, um, you know, in their subspecialty uh, areas. And I think that's fostered, uh, you know, a sense uh, in our residents of, of kind of looking to that, that leadership and, and, and aspiring to that. I think that uh, Dr. Coldwell has always had very high expectations for both the faculty and the residents. And, um, you know, I think that's rubbed off on, uh, on, on many of our trainees. The, the other thing I would add about that is we've just had some spectacular trainees. I mean, I think there are people who have come to this program that they, you know, it doesn't surprise me a bit that they're a chair at a major uh, neurosurgery department around the country. There, you know, there's just really spectacular residents that we've been able to uh, recruit and train uh, here at University of Utah. That's great. And the other thing about Utah is, of course, it's surrounded by states like Nevada, Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, a lot of states that don't actually have academic neurosurgery departments. So what does that mean for the catchment area that uh, you guys have and the types of cases that you guys see coming through the ED? Well, we've, we've always said that uh, our, our uh, patient population comes from about uh, one-eighth uh, of the, the total uh, geographic area of the United States. It's a large area. Uh, there's a lot of uh, really good uh, neurosurgeons that are scattered around in, in a lot of those states, and they've been kind enough to you know, be a, a great refers to our, our medical center for tertiary care. Uh, you know, our cancer center is very busy. We have satellites in Wyoming and Montana and Nevada, and, uh, parts of Colorado and parts of uh, Arizona. And, you, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful part of the country where, you know, people are, are really um, very, you know, down to earth, very willing to, to help with clinical trials, uh, very willing to, uh, to, you know, uh, take an active part of their health care. And uh, I think that's helped us grow some of our uh, clinical programs. Of course, and I know you guys are both very busy clinically and in terms of research. So how is your residency program structured? Uh, and do you have elective years 
incorporated into your you know seven year structure and can those be unfolded fellowship years or are they mostly devoted to research well i don't think that no two people have actually done the residency exactly the same in uh, over the past you know 10 to 15 years uh, we do have a structured research year during the fourth year and we uh, have an elective time for enfolded fellowships either during the sixth or seventh year more recently, we've been doing the chief year and the sixth year and the seventh year been using for enfolded fellowships. We have a number of enfolded fellowships within the department, and we've had a number of people who've gone uh, other places. We do have the flexibility that we can combine the fourth and uh, sixth year together and, uh, and, and give somebody a longer experience if they want to work on an advanced degree or uh, to you know, do a project that's going to take a little bit longer. Um, gosh, people have done all sorts of different things, uh, and you know, people have earned uh, masters of public health. Uh, people have done spinal bio- biomechanics. People have done basic science research. People have done purely clinical research. So, it, we try to tailor that to kind of fit what the our residents, what the prospective residents, uh, uh, you know, career. Uh, goals really are and try to prepare them uh, for that, uh, you, you know, the, the ultimate job that they're hoping to, uh, to secure. And one other thing that we were talking about before we started was how great of a place Utah is to live. And I think more and more now, uh, people are, you know, realizing all those sort of mountain states, Colorado, Utah, Wyoming, um, all the all the great stuff there is to do over there. So, can you tell us about how Salt Lake City is to live in, and uh, you know what residents like to do for fun in their free time off? Right. You know, I mean, to a lot of people on either of the coasts, you know, Utah is one of those big square states that you fly over on the way to Boston or San Francisco, <laughs> and, uh, and 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 you know, I get that completely. Um, unless you've actually kind of been here, it's really hard to you know, to picture, we, our hospital situated up in the foothills. We have a view of the city uh, out, out the back door of our, our cancer center is a beautiful uh, mountain bike or trail running uh, uh, area that you can run as far as you want to on the trails or ride your mountain bike, certainly ride your mountain bike into work. Uh, But, you know, there's a lot of really close stuff. I mean, our canyons are close. I keep my skis uh, in the back of my truck. And, uh, you know, if I have a case cancel, you know, 25 minutes, I can be sitting on a lift at Snowbird, uh, uh-huh. Alta. Uh, and, and it's just, you know, it's easy to be able to, to kind of do those outdoor things. Uh, I love the desert. I love going to Southern Utah. You can do that year round. Uh, you can go, you know, in, in the North there's the skiing is amazing. Uh, we're not very far away from Zion. Uh, we're not very far away from Bryce, Arches, Canyonlands, uh, Cedar Breaks, uh, just some spectacular national parks and state parks. And, uh, you know, and if you want to travel a little further, you know, you can be in the Tetons in six hours and, and uh, uh, Yellowstone, uh, Jackson Hole, those places are all, are, are, are just really close to get to. So, you know, there's a lot of outdoors activities and and then we've been really blessed to have a city that uh, has nice restaurants. We have a wonderful symphony, a nice opera, uh, ballet, uh, a lot of nice theater uh, companies and, and uh, 
uh, venues for uh, the arts. So, you know, there's, uh, you know, we don't have the opera schedule that they have at the Met in New York, but we have a, we have a, a, a wonderful uh, season here and uh, people it's, you know, you can actually park and, and uh, get to it pretty easily. That's pretty incredible. Uh, just before we wrap up, I did want to ask you for the applicants uh, going through the cycle this year, what can they do to really stand out in your eyes uh, in their application to Utah and maximize their chances of matching them? Well, we're, you know, just, just show us, you know, what you've done. And we're, we're, we're looking for people who are curious and inquisitive and honest and hardworking. And, and we, we, we have a lot of confidence that we can teach uh, neurosurgery and make people be very successful neurosurgeons. Uh, but, you know, we, we want to, we, we, we want people who were, are dedicated and, uh, and, uh, um, uh, you know, committed to, to neurosurgery. And I think that you show that by showing the good works of what you've done in the past. It's amazing, the applicants. I mean, when I go through the the applications, I can't believe how many good people there are out there and people that come from diverse backgrounds, people that come from, uh, you know, all sorts of, of uh, different interests, and then they converge on this love of, of neurosurgery. And we, we just, you know, like to bring, bring in people from, you know, all these different areas and bring them together. And we've been just so happy, uh, with residents that have just, you know, improved our program, made us all better people, and uh, and really elevated, uh, you know, all of us and made us inspired us to do better. You're absolutely right. It seems like the applicants get better and better every single year. Well, they Dr. Do. Jensen, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. We appreciate you having you on and sharing more about Utah to our listeners. Well, what a pleasure and good luck to everybody out there and. Uh, thank you so much for allowing me to have a little time on your podcast. Disclaimer time. The opinions and ideas expressed in this show are solely those of myself, Dr. Wang, and our guests. They do not represent the opinions of any professional institution or organization. This show is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute the giving of medical or legal advice. Listening to or participating in this show does not constitute continuing medical education or any other professional certification. It's just a show, everybody.